0: Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is now a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle or me at leadersandlegends.net. I thought I'd have to choose between an IT degree and certifications until I found WGU. There, I earned both through one program. WGU prepared me to earn certs from CompTIA and others at no extra cost. WGU IT bachelor's and master's degrees have no set class times. Rather, students progress at their pace, completing as many courses as they can each six-month term. I graduated faster, and you could too. Learn more at wgu.edu. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Today is one of my very special sorts of episodes, if that's the right way to say it, where we get an R and a D together and they talk about their friendship and the fun times they've had together over their careers. Uh, The Republican is Toby McClamrock, who's been an immense help to my career in more ways than I could ever repay him. He's been absolutely terrific. And Toby, I'm grateful. Uh, He has held numerous positions. He's been a member of the Indianapolis City County Council. He's been parliamentarian for the uh, Indiana House of Representatives. He's been the attorney for the, the Indiana House of Re- Representatives. He's worked at the Catholic Community Foundation. The list goes on and on, including a stint as chairman of the Marion County Election Board, which I did not know until I looked up your bio. Uh, the Democrat and his good friend is John Dillon. John, I'd have to say, has always had the greatest attitude in terms of what's best for the city. Let's all work together, and we can play our partisan games if we have to. But, okay, this is the best thing for the city, and that's what we're going to do. And that's one of the things that I learned from him more than 20 years ago at this point. He That's
1: a good way to say it, by the way.
0: He served as Mayor Bart Peterson's chief of staff. He was also insurance commissioner for the state of Indiana, and he was director of the Hoosier Lottery. That's the second Hoosier Lottery director we've had on because I interviewed Sarah Taylor about a year ago. Thank you both, Toby and John, for coming on the podcast. It's nice to be here. Thank you, Robert. It's a pleasure. So first off, you are both DePaul grads. So Lauren Mills and John Hammond, and let's see, Hillary Egan. And who else do we have who are all DePaul grads around here?
1: Well, there are a lot. John Hammond's at the top, right? John was, <laughs> John was a year older than me at DePaul. I always looked up to John. He was a big deal on campus, big man on campus. Remember the Gold Club and all kinds <laughs> of things. John was a big deal, and if you recall, he immediately he graduated immediately went to work for Governor Orr, right as or Lieutenant Governor Orr, I think. Yeah, at the time, so yeah, John was a big deal.
2: The Doctor Joel Hammond was John's brother and my fraternity brother. Um, oh, really? Absolutely, and a surgeon who lives in St. Louis now. Still staying contact with him.
0: So what? else, uh, that? Ken Owen? Did he go to? DePaul was class of 82 as well. I guess we should mention Dan Quayle. Dan Quayle. Uh, who else? And when well, did you... Suan Gilroy. But you and you two were not at DePaul at the same time. We were not.
1: I graduated in 77. John was 82. How did you all meet? Uh, Robert, we were laughing about
2: that this morning. We can't really figure it out. Um, we Toby went... thinks he knows.
1: <laughs> we went to the same church. We went to St. Luke Catholic Church and... John, um, we over intersected there. I, what I really remember are a couple of things. One of which is we signed our when our son was born, we signed him up to be baptized in the narthex at St. Luke. So we're, we're there getting ready for the baptism. We're the only family in there, and suddenly here comes the Dylan family, and and so <laughs> with their son Bob, and so Bob. And our son Bill were baptized together, just the two families there. and um, the great thing about that story is that Bob and Bill became best friends and uh, bill got our son Bill just got married last summer and Bob was in his wedding and Bob just got married about a m- month ago, and Bill was in his wedding and <laughs> they they literally went to St. Luke together. they went to Raboff together, they went to DePaul together, they played
0: sports. Together, returning brothers together, returning brothers. Where'd they go DePaul. to college? DePaul. DePaul. DePaul's I almost, too. I almost committed. Well, I did commit a grievous error, which I am now rectifying in the uh, panoply of DePaul uh, legends. I did not mention Denny Sutherland. Denny, I am so sorry.
2: Thank you for mentioning that, because he would be calling us if we hadn't got it.
0: <laughs> He'll be calling anyway. <laughs> he would be calling anyway. So, true or false, there is such a thing as a Brebuff Mafia. 100% absolutely correct.
1: Well, I didn't go to Brebuff. I went to Crawfordsville High School, so I'm not a Brebuff guy. But... You wrote some our, checks. Our son, Bill, went to Brebuff, and... And I have to tell you, it was a great experience. So, uh, But I, it's been with some amount of envy that I've watched John and his posse from Burbuff, um hang out together over the years.
0: Robert, I would tell you that... Because uh, Glass didn't deny it either, Fred Glass. you're absolutely
1: correct. But I would
2: tell you that Brebuff is the, the finest high school in Indiana. I may argue in the Midwest. I track mm-hmm. very closely our graduates coming out of college. And the performance and um, where they're going and the professions they're going into is nationwide, unbelievable. Um, doctors, lawyers, engineers, and I, I all credit Brabuff for giving them their base to do that.
0: What was it like, just to kind of wrap up this Brabuff thing, is when Alan Henderson was there and they were so good at basketball, it's, it was, did it kind of come out of nowhere? Did you have a good relationship with him and his family? Like His dad was a doctor, Alan Henderson's dad. Well,
2: and Mrs. Henderson was the was the genesis behind the relationship with Berbuff, and and uh, just was a wonderful lady. And and Alan's still involved today as a child there. Um, but where Alan went, uh, some of his uh, posse followed him, <laughs> and uh, we lost one game. It was the state finals game, so. Uh, He was fantastic and has been a great contributor to the school.
0: You've been involved in a lot, both of you. I want to ask you about this because then I want to pivot into a a quick conversation about Rex Early. You both have been heavily involved in CYO and Catholic charities and organizations. There seems to be, I mean, as a Catholic myself, there seems to be a terrific Catholic close-knit community in Indianapolis. Toby and then John, talk about that. Is that your experience as well?
1: No, that's right. There's no question about it. I mean, CYO itself is a great organization, right? And and it's like any organization where you have parents involved. And and it was, for me, me, the opportunity to coach my daughters and our son, Bill, in different sports. I mean, you just meet a lot of people, right? Um, Changing the subject only slightly, I, I just have to tell you, my favorite John Dillon story because it relates to coaching, which is I was coaching my son in um, basketball when he was six years old, and John was coaching his son, uh, Bob, when he was seven years old, and we were playing against each other. We we coached against each other numerous times. And I, I could, there, there aren't as many John Dillon stories as there are Rex Early stories, but there are a lot of John Dillon stories... So at the end of the third quarter when my son is six, we hadn't scored a point yet at the end of the third quarter. So I've got my kids in the huddle, and I'm you know trying to say, hey, you know we got to do this or that. John comes into our huddle, the opposing coach, and says, in the history of this organization, boys, there's never been a Schneid. Good luck. <laughs> and? That was it. He walked out of the huddle. And Did we scored. scored. Oh, we scored. We <laughs> scored. We won 32
2: to 2. And I had my kids run sprints for giving up the two points every
1: the game. They were pressing. They had the press on, right, when it's 32 to nothing. But
0: you know. <laughs> talk, uh, talk about the Catholic community here in, in Indianapolis. It, I know it's you're very interesting. Uh,
2: I was very heavily involved with CYO. I, I think it's one of the finest organizations in town. It's interesting that when you go on to the field of play, court of play, It is uh, very serious competition, and everybody's trying to win. And at the end of it, when you walk off, everybody realizes, hey, it's over. Let's move on. And and obviously, we've got family and friends all around the city. But I think it develops character, and I think it developed leadership of uh, kids coming through it in a competitive spirit. And I think you see that in a lot of the private schools in town. That's
1: well said.
0: We talk a little bit before we, I want to ask about Rex early, but I only can append to that by saying when I was in graduate school, I refereed basketball, high school, AAU, industrial leagues, whatever. They actually, the ref who, the CYO, I think is the one who pays for the referees, right? Mm -hmm. They paid me a hundred percent more per game because they could not find anyone to referee CYO on the East side of Indianapolis because people would say, I'm not going there. So they called me and they said, Hey, what about if we pay you more East side? I'm like, I live on the East side. I was living with Chris Sullivan mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. And I got paid extra because everyone was pet- was so scared of the East side families. And the very first technical I ever threw in CYO was to my good friend, our good friend, Tom O'Donnell. I said, Tom, if you don't shut up, I've known you since I'm five years old, but you're going to get a technical. Arr, and he's growling. And That wasn't Tommy's first technical. I <laughs> no, I don't think it was. Nor was it his last. I <laughs> Another great East Side uh, Catholic and, and citizen of Indianapolis, Tom O'Donnell. He's wonderful. We recorded a podcast about the memory of Rex Early. I had a column in the Indianapolis Star about it. Both of you have known him for a long time, especially John. John, let's go to you first. He was very active in the CYO and a lot of things. Give us your thoughts on on Rex. It's an interesting story. My father, Jack Dillon, and Rex were
2: very, very close, um, different political parties, but we're extremely close friends. And uh, Rex had left a note and talked to Pat about it and said, you know, if I ever go down, these are who I want my pallbearers to be. Mm -hmm. And every one of his pallbearers had passed away, so... uh, Rex said in his last couple weeks, hey, Jim Clark's my great friend, but I love Murray, and Daryl French was my great friend, and I love Ed French, and Jack Dillon were great friends, and I love John. Have the boys be my pallbearers. So it was really um, uh, a a tremendous honor for me, frankly. yeah, Um, Grew up with the early's. Pat and I have been friends since uh, kids, and uh, it was... He was one of a kind, and uh, that, unfortunately, generation is is uh, quickly fading, and that type of character, unfortunately, is quickly fading as well.
0: Do you, let me ask a question, and then I want to, because I want to get you on this too, Toby, and you're listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast with John Dillon and his friend, Toby McLamrock. It seems to me that the the people who get most upset about politics are the people who aren't in it is that a fair statement john and then toby because i a bunch of my friends will argue about it all day long and then you know just yesterday i had lunch michael brian kip to ed tracy and me like if you're involved in politics and you know that the other side's got good people and that the, you know it's not all what you read on social media i just wish more people would get involved so they could see and witness that dynamic
2: well i, I think that's very accurate robert and, and toby and i were talking as a matter of fact uh I think you lost the at-large bid in 99, and I would tell you, my crowd was kind of for Toby because he's practical, he's smart, you could deal with him, and uh, once you're involved and you realize the person has character and they understand what's happening, things move smoothly, and when people aren't involved and don't have a clue, that's when the water gets rough, and it's, I, I promote my kids to be involved and work a precinct, and understand what's happening and, and I just think it's helpful to understand the system and don't uh, don't argue against something you don't get
0: So right. don't let don't let the atmosphere poison you because it can be a whole lot different hundred percent
1: yeah when I think about Rex early I mean most people think about Indiana we can review the fact that he ran for governor in nineteen ninety six I mean I think about Rex because for decades he was the Marion County Center Township Republican Chair, which was, I mean, Rex was heavily involved in politics, right, from the beginning. I mean, he started as a state representative, I think, in 1962, right? And so Rex was always heavily involved. And, you know, it's interesting what you just said, Robert, because I think maybe from that experience, it's actually a very interesting comment by you in the sense that Rex had a level of respect for people Republicans or Democrats, he didn't really care, right? And it's an interesting observation. I mean, I I would draw the parallel with Joe Hogsett, right? Joe Hogsett, he's a Democrat, I'm a Republican. But it is not insignificant that Joe has passed all these budgets with almost unanimous support from the council. Because I can tell you, when I was on the city-county council, we never, ever had anything but partisan votes for the budget. I mean, maybe I'm missing a couple of votes in my memory, but for the most part, they were very partisan. And so, it's not insignificant. I mean, look, Joe Hogsett treats people with respect, right? And and I think that's a foundation for making things happen in, in, in government, right? So, I, it's an interesting observation. I, you know, the more heavily involved maybe you are in politics, the more respectful you are.
0: You were in the, uh, or on the Indianapolis Marion County City County Council from 1992 to 1999. But what is your first, and I'll ask you too, John, what's your first political memory? Well, my first political memory is... is, Is there a presidential election or is it this or it's that? I can
1: actually just barely remember in 1960, my father taking me to an election night to Republican headquarters and seeing a, a banner with Richard Nixon's. So so that's, I mean, that wasn't political involvement, but I can just barely remember that when I was a little kid. But I, I, I started out in the same Republican organization that Rex was involved in. I, I became, I graduated from law school in 1980 and immediately became a Republican precinct committeeman. And so at that time in the 1980s, you know, the Republican Party in 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 Indianapolis, it was pretty strong. And, and I, I viewed that precinct involvement as meaningful, right? And, mm. and it was the other precinct committee were, you know, Murray Clark and Bob Grand and Mike Pence and just a, a lot of, of young people were involved in the party. And um, it was social, right? It was, it was uh, a good way to be involved and contribute, but at the same time, it was social,
0: do you remember the kennedy assassination very well jfk yeah 1960
1: november of 63 i was in third grade and uh yeah that was that was or second grade um but yeah john what's
2: your first Uh, political memory uh, when i was in third grade when my father lost uh for his re-election bid for attorney general and i remember it what year uh, 68 mm-hmm. he, he got rolled up although he led the state ticket interesting enough they got rolled up in the landslide for uh nixon i believe at that point in time um but i'll never forget that but i he had a relationship and, and i remember this robert today when robert kennedy was assassinated my father because he was attorney general at that time had developed a relationship with robert kennedy and oh yeah was a huge i mean they were actually pretty close and It was a crushing, crushing blow to our family. But uh, I remember that in third grade when he sure when he lost.
0: Were you both predestined to be, you know, Mike Riley came on the podcast who ran that campaign in 68. He was terrific. Rest in peace, Mike. Were you both predestined to be a member of your current political party? In other words, dads are D's. So your D's or R's or was did you? think that there was some sort of
1: you know Robert, compact <laughs> that's a great question i've thought about that a lot my father was was you know i grew up on a farm north of Crawfordsville, and my father was heavily involved in republican politics and in montgomery county was on the county council for many years and i think that what happens is Initially, you are connected to the party of your parents, right? I do think there's that connection, but I—I I mean, in today's world, maybe it's—it's it's, um, there's some things that make it difficult to be a Republican right now. But the reality is, I still believe in you know limited government and, and lower taxes, less regulation. I'm—I I'm, believe in capitalism, right? So I'm a Republican, and I think as you get older, then you as as the years go by, you. You really identify with the party of of your beliefs, right, and not so much who your parents were. Uh, Coming
2: up with my father uh, involvement, he was a uh, very much so a uh, civil rights activist, at the same time was a fiscal conservative. So I kind of grew up fiscal conservative, but leaning a little bit to the left on social issues that uh, I had watched him go through for the years, you know, he he grew up on Holmes Avenue out in Hallville,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: youngest of seven kids, and his dad died when he was nine. Um, so I would tell you that uh, he had to work very hard to, to get where he was and demanded that from us. But was a very quiet moderate, which made me a very quiet moderate, but raised in a Democratic family and. Unfortunately, fortunately, as I grew up, I knew a lot of the Democratic families I came up
0: with. So I should have asked. I think I did maybe when Kip and Murray Clark were on, Kip 2 and Murray Clark, that Murray had an interesting dynamic considering his maternal grandfather was chairman of the Democratic National Committee no, under no question. Harry Truman. I'm like, what did you? He goes, ah. He goes, I've always been a Republican. Uh, do you remember the first time, like the first instance where you guys worked together so you knew each other from the baptism, and you know your families grew up, but given your career in politics, Toby, and yours, John, did you say, well, look, we can get some stuff done?
1: Let me tell you a quick story, Robert. This is really the first time that I engaged, uh, maybe adverse to, to John, and in, in, you mentioned this a few minutes ago, so... Through my party involvement, I had different positions. One of those was that I served as the, Marion, the chair of the Marion County Election Board. And um, our attorney for the Marion County Election Board was J. Murray Clark. <laughs> and, um, and, and I can't uh, overstate the significance of 1990, what happened in 1990, which is that Jeff Modisette defeated Drew Young for yeah. Marion County Prosecutor, which was shocking and and election night, so so, Faye Murray was the county clerk, and um, she ran the election, election board, and we did it in conjunction with Faye. So Faye Murray, myself, were in her office. It's about ten o'clock at night, and it's apparent that this election is. I th- I, my recollection is that Jeff was slightly ahead. When I say slightly, I mean by like fifty votes. Yeah, it was super close. Yeah. So. You know, I think Murray and I—we were thinking about—you know—there's going to be a recount. What do we need to do with the ballots? Those kinds of issues. We walk out in the hallway of the West Wing of the City County Building, and John Dillon had assembled a team of about thirty lawyers who were standing. I'll never forget. We walk out and we see this group, and we were shocked. We we're. And it was, you know, it was, it was Frank Sullivan and John Dillon and David Hamilton, all these people that went on, you know, Supreme Court, you know, <laughs> peep, you know Seventh Circuit, right? And they're all standing there ready to do battle with, with Murray and me. And I said, Murray, I think we're in trouble, right? And so, but what we did, this goes to John's point, what we did is we, that evening, Right, we sat down and hammered on a compromise in terms of what we do with the ballots, you know when
0: do we start the process because there's clearly going to be a recount right there and probably it, hadn't been a close race in Marion County for a long time not in like the, that. in the general, I could see in a primary, but not in a general, yeah, absolutely
1: Robert, this was shocking, right. This is the first Democrat that won a countywide race. I'm going to say since seventy four i i I may be wrong about that but but this was this was surprising right and but my my point is that working together we work this out now i think drew young was disappointed with the result and some of the people around drew were disappointed with the result but you know we had a good process right and um john and i worked together on on that process i
0: should mention that drew young ended up being chairman of the election board And I never had the opportunity to serve with him when I was running the elections, but I want to mention another great family. Since we've talked about you, John, a little bit, and and obviously Toby and Rex, uh, how long have you known the Eichholzes, John?
2: Oh, since I was a child. Um, Pat, early, Ricky and I go all the way back to eight years old, probably, in that era. But I I wanted to comment, um, Frank Sullivan was our leader on the recount, and the governor, who is obviously my political uh, leader and uh, Joe Hogg's a political leader, saw the opportunity for the first time we could break into Marion County, and the governor said, Frank, get this together, get these guys. and Frank came over, Ed Delaney was there, best <laughs> recount lawyer in the state of Indiana, Larry Rubin, God rest his soul. God rest his soul. What uh, a great guy. He was in the middle of it, and, and it was our opportunity, and, and Toby, I don't know the exact timing, but it might have been 74, for the Democrats to actually win. And, by the way, the Young family, one of the great families in the city, were all dear friends of mine, so it was very difficult to, yeah. to go into this Uh yeah, Julie Young-Tara wanted to kill me at that point in time. Well,
0: let me ask a question just basically on that. And before I move on, I have just discovered another uh, DePaul alumna in my brain, and that is Deborah Daniels. Did either of you go to DePaul with her?
1: Not I. I, I'm, I can't. The, the, the answer is no. I think Deborah graduated just before I arrived at DePaul. I think she graduated in 73. I, I think that's correct. I'm not sure.
0: You know, we've had... Podcast We've had Murray, we've had Kip, uh, two uh, Robin Winston, Mike McDaniel. And the reason I bring those four people up, especially, is because they do a lot of media stuff or used to. And the question that I always ask them is How did you maintain your friendships with Republicans or Democrats? if republicans or democrats gave you a hard time about it was there ever a time where someone came up to you and said you know why are you being so nice to him like you know or her that kind of thing i won't repeat ed tracy's answer because we don't curse on the leaders and legends podcast but let me ask you and this is a great question for murray because murray was close to you close to the colts all these democratic families and here he is my boss he's chairman of the indiana republican party uh, how do you handle that if there's ever like an issue
2: well, I think you maintain uh, what the, the country's lacking right now, which is Correct. civility mm-hmm. and decorum. And obviously, I, I uh, have the uh, utmost respect for Murray, um, and I think it's mutual. Mm-hmm. And once you approach it that way, I know where he's coming from. He knows where I'm coming from. Uh, Robert, we're both playing to win, right? but we're going to do it in a, a matter of civility. Um,
1: Toby? Toby? I think the state of Indiana is unique in from a political standpoint. I think there's a level of civility in Indiana politics in general. Not I mean there are a lot of exceptions to that, sure. right? I mean look at Eric Holcomb. He treats everybody with respect, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Very practical governor. Very
1: practical, I, right? 100%. So I think from a general standpoint um I, I think there is a, a deep level of respect uh, and I th- i think we're unique certainly different as John just said from what happens on on the federal
0: level well I'm gonna let me append to that please I'm gonna take you back you may not remember this but I do because it stuck with me you and I I was comms director at state party working for Jennifer Hollowell, working for Murray Clark a job that you helped me get by the way and don't say you didn't because you did And you and I are having lunch at Nordstrom when it was downtown. And we were talking about Watergate and politics and history, all the things we talked about. And you said to me, and I remember this very well, you said, people say all politics is local. I don't believe that. All politics is national. And at the time I was like, well, okay, I see what your point is. Now I'm completely convinced that through social media, all politics is national. Would you like to talk about that? Then we'll let John either agree or disagree.
1: Well, I, I intended that comment. I do think it's accurate, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't. I don't think all politics are national, but I think that in today's world of social media and um, and cable TV news, that kind of thing. I think they have. I mean it. I when I say that, I mean that. It's cynical, right? I mean, what I'm saying is that people are so influenced by what's happening on a national level that they carry local. They have it has a disparate impact on local races, right? And I think that, and I, I, uh, you know, Tip O'Neill famously said, "All politics is local," and um, which is really a, a way of saying if you're a if you're Speaker of the House in Washington D.C., you have to pay attention to. To the little guy, right, in your congressional district. That's what he means when he says all politics is local. But I think these national waves uh, today really impact all races um, and um, more and more, quite frankly. So, yeah, I mean, I it's a cynical thing to say, but I believe that.
2: I, I would tell you I've got an autograph of Tip O'Neill's book from, uh-huh. from the Speaker. But Man of the House, is that what it is? Yeah. Yes. I, I couldn't um, – I have the honor, by appointment from uh, Mayor Hogsett, hardest working guy in Indianapolis in my opinion, uh, to be the president of the Metropolitan Development Commission. And those are real-life situations on variances and zoning and economic uh, incentives, and they affect neighborhoods. And there's no question in my mind, and I've always felt this way, that all politics is local. And when you're running a Metropolitan Development Commission meeting, I promise you, all <laughs> politics are local. And you, you've you got to get out. And, And, and Robert, I, I'm a visual person, so I'm not very smart to the uptake on going through stuff. I have to go to the site in the neighborhood. So everyone we vote on, I go there, and I walk the neighborhood, and I walk the site. And I think, Toby, you know I do that to get a feel for what – Somebody in Franklin Township saying versus Decatur Township versus Washington Township or Wayne. And, and I would tell you, in, in my opinion, in our community and statewide, all politics are really local and how they affect people matters. So you just I believe you got to pay attention to it.
0: Toby, true or false? If Stephen Goldsmith had been elected governor in 96, you would have been the new mayor?
1: I think that in 1996, uh, I spent several months campaigning to replace Steve Goldsmith as mayor, and my opponent in that race was, once again, J. Murray Clark, right? <laughs> Murray and I were both seeking that same position, and in, Murray and I were close friends before that and during that process, and we're still close friends, right? And I think... Um, John von Arks was in the race. Mm-hmm. So I think among John von Arks who at that time was the county auditor right and Murray and myself, I think uh, one of the three of us would have replaced Steve the process of to replace Steve Steve so Steve had just been elect, reelected as mayor in 95, ran for governor in 96 and so he would have had to vacate the office. The process was that the Republican precinct committeeman, of which there were about 800 at that time and yeah. would, have, would have come together in a convention and voted. And I think it would have been a close race uh, among Murray, um, John and myself. Did you expect Goldsmith to win that? Yes, I did. <laughs> I, I did. I actually so clearly remember on election night, I mean, the, the race was called about 7 o'clock in the evening. It was 7 o'clock in the evening, it was like, I was driving to a campaign event you know for to replace Steve, and I'm driving there and i thought they and they called the race for frank O'bannon and I turned around and went the other way It's like well i'm not, I'm not going to this event if <laughs> it was it was it was a little bit shocking and and disappointing, but it was a it was a great process to go through.
0: Let me ask another question because then I'm gonna go right to you after this. Were you more surprised by Goldsmith's defeat in 96 for governor or Bart Peterson's victory in 99 for Indianapolis mayor?
1: Well, I was more surprised by Steve losing in 96. In 1999, um, I think that there was sort of a... Bart Peterson ran a great race Mm -hmm. and he came up with what he called the Peterson Plan. And I think John was involved in developing that. And the Peterson Plan was about a 200... Page plan, but at the heart of it was he was going to hire 200 new police officers. And that had, it, just a, it was a great message. It had a dramatic impact on the electorate. And everywhere I went, I heard about the Peterson plan. And so, just to put this in perspective, so in '99, Bart ran against Sue Ann Gilroy. And Sue Ann was running for mayor. And I was one of the four at large candidates. Mm-hmm. But it was pretty common I th- throughout, you know, the time we had at-large counselors, for the most part, whoever won the mayor's race carried the four at-large council members. And I was one of those four. And so when Bart won in 99, I lost uh, the at-large uh, race, uh, which was um, which is a disappointment, mm-hmm. but not a surprise. In fact... On election night, I, w- I I went to a CYO football game instead of going to uh, election headquarters because I thought I just have a feeling that I'd rather be at a <laughs> CYO football game than at, um, uh, at than at uh, Republican headquarters. So, well, you you might
2: have not been surprised, but we were surprised um, about
0: ninety nine
1: about Toby losing.
2: Oh, okay. Um, but going back to when uh, Mayor Goldsmith lost to Frank O'Bannon and uh, Murray and Toby were positioning to be the next mayor, my position was, hey, they both love the city of Indianapolis. We win.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that was no Damn. question in my mind, and uh, they still do today. So Let, yeah. let's, he, he came on the podcast. He was very gracious. He was interviewed by Jim Shella and me. Evan By. John, talk a little bit about, I told, I told Evan on the podcast that I remember my mother crying when Evan By's mother died and what was it like to work for him? How did you get to know him? You mentioned him like your mentor and, you know, he came in in 86 and then 88 and did, you know, very well. I, I don't know that anyone could say he was a terrible governor. He was a good governor, obviously.
2: Oh, I, I think he was an excellent governor. Um, And my relationship with Evan really started to form as he uh, got into the secretary of state's race, um, both not only with Evan, but I also had known uh, Joe Hogsett back since 81, probably in that timeline. And how did you meet mayor Hogsett? Um, we actually had a double date back in those days. So how about that, Robert? Um, and, and had hit it off right away. But, uh, I have the utmost respect uh, and appreciation for Evan. We're dear friends today. Uh, I think the world of Joe Hogsett, uh, and we're longtime friends. Um, Evan may be the smartest political person I've ever met. Um, I would even use the word brilliant. Um, had a vision far before anybody else had of where the country was going and where the state was going. And... and. Uh, I never left him going, thinking to myself, boy, you know, I just learned something in Mm that, you know, one-hour meeting, and um, and the same for Joe, by the way. Joe has a great vision, and uh, those two, Joe's an interesting person. Joe is extremely bright, uh, and Toby will tell you this as well, he's a true public servant. He doesn't care about making money, he doesn't care about, um, you know, I, I think he will be concerned about his legacy down the road, but today... He doesn't worry about that stuff. He wants to do what's right. Uh, He wants to do what's right for the city. And he's always been that public servant attitude. And uh, I appreciate that very much from him. But to to close on Evan, um, Evan gave me opportunities at a young age that I never would have had. And uh, I I, uh, always will appreciate it.
0: How did you come to be the chief of staff for mayor peterson that's when i really became our friendship really kind of cemented itself
2: um well i was involved with bart um early on in his campaign um you have to ask bart but i bet i was in the top three of the people he came to see and said hey john i'm gonna run and, and i have a said i'm in mm-hmm. um you probably don't remember this but i was the chairman of the daniel's bond bank from day one and worked all the way through that, and was very involved in the administration, and my relationship with Bart really started in the Biden administration, and Mm. we became very close, and I I have the utmost respect for Bart, Uh, good friend, uh, brilliant mind, brilliant mind, and um, doesn't have a mean bone in his body, Um, which may or may not be good in politics, but (laughs) that certainly was his style, and I think everybody today appreciates the fact that the Peterson plan was laid out. Here's what I'm going to do. And he did it.
0: Um, and, and he he came on the podcast. Mayor Peterson did. He was a terrific guest. He gave O'Connor the credit for the Peterson plan, by the way. Well, Mike, he should have Mike O'Connor, another former leaders and legends podcast guest. When I interviewed Mayor Peterson, I said, look, we don't have to talk about 2007 in any degree like we just want to mention it. I'm not going to sit there and grill you about it or anything like that because he deserves respect. He brought it up in our podcast. I asked him, why did you run for a third term? He told me that the reason he ran was to protect charter schools, that that was very, very important to him. And he just wasn't sure who was going to come after him would be as supportive. turns out mayor Ballard was incredibly supportive, but John, as someone who was in the room during that time, When did you think, when do you think that 2007 started to go south?
2: It's very simple
0: and very straightforward. And you're talking to uh, Captain
2: Edward Smith, the guy steering the Titanic into the iceberg, um, which I'll never get over, by the way, Robert. Uh, In July, we knew we were in trouble. And the problem was— Reassessment. Well, the problem was the property tax issue was so hot— Correct. And people were so upset and they didn't really blame the mayor, but they were kind of pointing to him as why it Changed their
0: attitude in general.
2: Then mm-hmm. we made a calculated mistake and I will tell you I was 100% against it and I should have laid in front of his car before <laughs> letting him run me over <laughs> we're, we're when we into the to,
0: local option. Income
2: tax. It hooked yeah. into the property tax. And the people in Marion County go, are you guys not getting it? You arrogant people. Are you not getting it? And I'm telling you, that was uh, our demise. And in July, uh, the numbers started going south. And you all were talking about 7 o'clock at night. Well, at 6.03, we knew the council was gone. And
0: uh, actually, Bart hung in there later in the evening, but couldn't couldn't get home. And yeah, he was fifteen hundred two thousand votes ahead most of the evening until the southern part of Marion County came in. I agree 100 percent. And uh, that's, in my opinion,
2: uh, humbly, uh, that's exactly what happened and, and why he lost.
0: Because Mayor Ballard, when I worked for him, both as press secretary for the transition and his comms guy in the administration would talk about crime a lot. And I would say if they didn't raise the low at. You never would have won. And he's just like, oh blah, blah. And you know, he's got some good points. I just said, Look, I'm telling you, what happened was the property tax stuff started to halfway cool a little bit. I don't know exactly remember when Governor Daniels did one, two, three. But when the local tax went up, that really re re energized the discontent, for lack of a better it, term.
1: It, it John stated it perfectly. It connected back the responsibility for the reassessment the reas- Bart Peterson had nothing to do with the reassessment right that was a process that started 12 years before on a state level and was debated you know about greater connection between property tax value and assessed value right real value versus assessed value right and so that process had been going on for years the mayor had nothing to do with it but when the local option income tax was increased, it was it was uh, there was a connection made, and it was uh, it was an interesting process because I, if as I recall, I don't think Mayor Ballard ran much TV. If
2: he didn't have any money, he, he, he had, raised two
1: hundred
0: and fifty thousand
1: I mean, dollars. God his, love him. I mean TV, I mean his, He may have run a few t- ads the last few days, but. But for the most part, I mean, I first realized that the mayor was in trouble two weeks before the election. Mayor Peterson. Mayor Peterson, when he started running these negative Negative ads ads against Ballard. And I thought, why is he running negative ads against Ballard?
0: And and I just realized, I mean, numbers must be bad. The only meeting uh, during the transition period between Mayor Peterson and... And Mayor Ballard was up on the 25th floor in the mayor's office conference room. I was lucky enough to be in that meeting. And I walk in with the mayor, and, and Joe Loftus was there, and John Cochran. And the first person I see when I walk in the sort of like reception room for the mayor's office is your friend John Dillon. Big, his big paw reaches out and says, hey, I need to talk to you. And we talk for a couple minutes, and John could not have been more gracious. I know it hurt. I simply, I told the mayor, I told Mayor Ballard over Thanksgiving weekend when he called me because he's writing a book about his time as mayor. I said, I still can't believe you won the first time, let alone that you're writing a book. He goes, Robert, it's been 15 years. I'm like, I don't care. It's absolutely shocking to me. But John was, as Bart Peterson's chief of staff, he was kind. He was cordial. He brought me aside and go, you know, Robert, we're all stunned, uh, but we think you're going to do a good, good job. And I told John, I said, if you need anything, you call me.
1: So, Robert, let me just follow it up with a story. In 1999, you know, I told you I lost that race for re-election. When Bart was first elected, he beat Sue Ann Gilroy, and, and I was swept out in that. I couldn't really sleep very well that night. I got up about 5 in the morning and drove to the, my office. And um, about 7, 7.30, a our, our receptionist was already here, and she called and said, you have a visitor and uh, I went out. There's John Dillon standing in the lobby, and uh, he said exactly the same things. So it must be a, a speed, standard speech that he has, but it was, you know,
0: that no, 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 that is DePaul. No, no, but
1: it was in all seriousness. It was just a level of respect for for you know an opponent, right? And he just said, you know, I'm sorry you lost, and let I me mean, you know if I can do anything to help, and I will always be appreciative.
0: But that's the part I was making earlier, and I have one more question, then we'll go to the five questions with which we end all of our podcasts. You're listening to Leaders and Legends. Our guests are longtime friends, John Dillon and Toby McClamrock. Uh, I saw John Gregg literally right outside your building after he lost in 2016 to to Eric Holcomb, now Governor Holcomb. We chatted for a minute, and the last question I asked him, I said, you know, John, or Speaker Gregg, probably, forgive me for asking, but... Have you heard from the new vice president yet about your election, meaning Pence? And he said he called me on Thursday, Huh. two days after the election. Greg says that. And what I didn't know until John Greg came on the podcast is that John Greg's radio gig happened because Mike Pence hired him. Huh. And so it leads to my question. Matt Tully and I once got into a rest your soul, Matt, an argument, a fun argument about why can't R's and D's get along? My response was, Matt, the real feuds are within the parties. It's ours against ours and D's against D's. Am I right or wrong? And, and do you have an example of how you've felt it or seen it? Toby?
1: Well, I, sure. I think that that intra-party squabbles are much more intense, right? Because the reason that we have this this, you know, we have two parties— is so that we can argue, right? So that we can um, disagree, be opponents, right? It's a, it's a dialectic that works for, our, for us to make decisions, right? And, but within parties, you don't have that same kind of uh, system. You're not expected to be opponents, mm-hmm. right? And, and so I, I don't know that I have a, a good example Mario, there's uh,
0: still the fallout from the Gilroy Mayoral campaign last for lasted for years. That's what I've always been told. I I wouldn't know anything about that, Robert. <laughs> Let's just say Toby. I wouldn't either. Say Toby, you're lucky. This we don't post any video for this podcast. <laughs> it's just the audio. <laughs>
1: no, I, by the way, I want to be clear. I was a big proponent of Sue Ann Gilroy. I mean, she was. We actually grew up um, uh, near each other, right? And so I'd known Sue Ann. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for her. I mean, look, whenever you lose, right, they're, they're just disappointment, right? But that isn't – I'm not so sure there was fallout as much as, you know, we were just disappointed we lost, right, more than anything else. John?
2: I think you've got to control um, by working together on interparty party politics. You've got to remember, in my era, we've always been in the minority in the state, in the city. So I think that brought people closest together. We were fortunate to have a great leader in Evan Bayh, great leaders in, in Joe Hoggs, and, and they kind of saw the vision. And sure, are there going to be squabbles because people are trying to position uh, to move forward? But um, I think we get over those for the most
0: part and, and are, are capable of moving forward. So let me ask a question because you, you each have the same issue, just differentiated by geography john how do the democrats become more competitive statewide and then toby how do republicans become more competitive marion county-wide john
2: it is a question robert that i've been in several sessions on and we don't have an answer at this point um we need a new generation with a new vision um one that appeals more to the right, um, but has the ability to bring the left farther with it toward the middle. um, And we don't have it yet. Uh, We're working on it. So I'll just be blunt. We don't have the answer to the statewide issue.
0: You got an answer for me, Toby, about our party here in Marion County?
1: I do. I think all politics are national. And I think for the Republican Party to be successful in Marion County the Republican Party nationally needs to move on from the last four years, the last six years, or whatever. We need to move on from Donald Trump. Uh, We need to to, um, go a different direction. Somebody that supports the rule of law. Somebody that's really committed to Republican principles. And I think by doing that, what will happen is we'll attract independent voters to the Republican Party. So, yeah. I mean, I think that... that, um, I'm hopeful that as we head to 2024, and we uh, find new leadership, I think it'll it'll help us in Marion County. You know, th- I, th- I think we would all agree that the Marion County Prosecutor's race last year was really a bellwether for mm-hmm. how we're positioned in Marion County and Indianapolis. But I think that we're. I don't think we need to lose hope, right? I think we have.
0: But we really have to get ourselves well-positioned on a national basis. Because in 88, you really had a, a once-in-a-lifetime candidate statewide in Evan Bay. But in 2007, in Marion County, you had kind of a once-in-a-lifetime issue. So it can come either way. It could be issue-based or it could be personality-based for the fortunes to change. I, I really do think, though, and, and Toby, I think you would agree with me,
2: that uh, uh, the Stu Dillons, Bob Dillon, Jack Dillon, Billy Mack... Uh, mm-hmm. Bo Bai, Nick Bai, that generation. And, and they're all talking about it or trying to figure out a new approach that works with modern society because old
0: dogs like me just probably don't get it. And um, <laughs> they, they've got to figure it out. So we've reached the point in the Leaders and Legends podcast where we ask the same five questions of all of our guests. It's going to be an honor to pose these so we'll do toby first since you're older and then you but you can just answer the same question and toby remind me i have a favor to ask you my son just got accepted into law school
2: congratulations great
0: thank you very very much Where at which so, downtown mckinney good. fantastic yeah. uh, but I'll, I'll ask a favor if you could just chat with him anyway Sure. so five questions what was your first job my first job
1: was in it was in high school. I worked for uh, in retail for a clothing store called Paul Harris, which was pretty well known around yeah. Indianapolis. But they had a small shop in Crawfordsville, and I I worked there at night. You know, I went to school, and then I then I always have football or basketball or track practice, and then after that, I'd go work there from six to nine. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but 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 keep in mind. I grew up on a farm, right? And so from the earliest age, I was working on the farm, doing a lot of things that you do on a farm, right? Because this, <laughs> this was a working farm, right? right? This wasn't this wasn't just some gentleman farm setup. This is my dad farmed, and so I was always always active on the farm. But my first where I where I got it paid was working for Paul Harris.
2: John. I was a field representative for Rockwood Insurance Company of Indiana, and I traveled the entire state every single day in every nook and cranny.
0: What was your first concert, Toby?
1: Well, you're going to laugh when I say this. I actually remember uh, when I was very young going to see Roy Rogers and Dale Evans at the state fair. And then I also remember right after that, when I was very young, seeing Tennessee Ernie Ford at the state fair. So, so those, you grew
0: up on a farm. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: And I've, I've always loved country music, but I, I've, you know, Dale Evans and and um and Roy Rogers. I don't really remember the being there, but but what I do, I very clearly remember seeing Tennessee Ernie Ford. I was probably seven or eight or nine or ten, right in there.
0: What was the first concert you actually
1: purchased your own ticket? Well, my father was always involved in the State Fair. And so we always got free tickets all the way through college to concerts at the State Fair. I I mean, I suppose after I got married well into the 80s, I had to start paying for tickets. Probably George Strait would be my first uh, concert that I bought a ticket for,
2: seventy three or seventy four Indiana State Fair. The smoking hot Olivia Newton John was my <laughs> first concert. <laughs> and the first ticket I ever bought, I think I'm pretty sure I'm right about this was for the uh, Jackson Five. Uh, followed them, so
1: I met the Jackson Five. Did you really? I did. All five. All five. I have a photograph. With the Jackson 5. It's one of my
0: treasures. Oh, my gosh. My childhood. And I have a photograph with Olivia Newton-John. Do you really? Mm-hmm. I'd rather have the Jackson 5. I'm with I'm with my Democrat friend. I'll on stay one. with Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> <John around. laughs> Question number three. Toby, if you could suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you recommend? I think Team of
1: Rivals. Um, I, I think that uh, Team of Rivals uh, captured... You know, it's it's about abraham lincoln and the cabinet that he developed and and so he, he because what it does it really covers a lot of the, the things that we're talking about today in terms of how you respect people and i mean he essentially took his, his, his the people that had run against him in the primary and made put him in his cabinet and it was it was um it's one of his secrets to success because he had the confidence in himself to be able to do that. It's also a history of the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln, which are just just incredibly um, important to understand in terms of understanding our country and where well, we that's
2: are. True. Um, I'm not that serious, Tobin. Uh, I'm a John Grisham fan, so Time to Kill is kind of my favorite. And the firm and pelican brief i have not read but it's sitting on my chair is uh the boys from biloxi i haven't read it yet but just he just put Mm. that out
0: but i for whatever reason enjoy his books number four if you could witness any event in history be there in person as it happens which event would you choose boy that's difficult um
1: Robert I, I I have to uh, I have to think about this I mean I, I think that I'd probably go back to just in, from a historic standpoint I've always been fascinated by the time of Teddy Roosevelt and the transformation that we went through as a country and Teddy Le- T- Teddy Roosevelt's leadership in really making us a modern country right bringing us out of the back back room kind of approach to politics and and creating more of a a retail approach and the will of the people Mm -hmm. and reforming Washington D.C. and and so I've always been fascinated like I, I mean I I, th- I think it'd be interesting to have lived through would that period. You, would you've wanted to be there when he got shot in the middle of a speech and then finished his speech? He did finish the speech. I mean he was a larger than life person by by any stretch right to to you know he finished his f- finishes term and he went to Africa for Two years. Robert, you'd know better than I would. I mean, he, he was he was just a larger-than-life person that I, I would have enjoyed um,
0: watching I've been through that. And he received the Medal of Honor. And his son, Teddy Roosevelt Jr., received the Medal of Honor for his actions on D-Day. So, mm-hmm. incredible family on both sides. John, any event in history? Um, it's a tie between the inauguration
2: of John Kennedy And the American invasion into Europe. Uh, I would have liked to have been there to watch that, been a part of it.
0: The last question, and you can answer each other, by the way. If you could have dinner with anyone living today, living today, two hours off the record just to chat, whom would you choose? So I'm first. Yes, sir. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan? no relation not, John not, I'm sorry
1: I'm sorry not his Bob Dylan <laughs> I was going to say this. I,
0: need, I, need, I need to meet this kid
1: the the, the, <clears throat> the most recent winner of the Nobel Prize in literature Bob Dylan
2: that's a good one um, John well I thought you might ask who I'd want to have dinner with who was deceased I, I don't get to an answer that well, just, I will it's my it's my father I would love to uh, is have a dinner with him for two hours mm-hmm. um you're gonna find this answer different i would love to look putin in the eye and say w- w- man what are you thinking <laughs> i don't what answer you're gonna you. get I, I don't know but i, I i'm you've been sure. dealing with politicians all your life i'd
0: be very interested to hear what's going through his mind and and where he's coming from john here's your chance to say one more nice thing about toby
2: oh dear friend um fantastic family uh heart and
0: soul of of montgomery county and uh do anything for him toby here's your another chance to say something nice about john dillon
1: well great family right to start with i mean three boys great wife i i I knew his wife and Trudgen. um I remember her, the Paul, star tennis player, right? And but he's got like this model family, these three boys, with Jack, Bob, and Stu. But when I when I think about John Dillon, I think about loyalty, right? I mean, John is just an incredibly loyal person who watches out for his friends, and as a result of that, John Dillon has dozens of friends. I mean, dozens. When I referred to him as his posse a few minutes ago. <laughs> the interesting thing about John is John has a Brebuff posse. He has a DePaul posse. He has a posse from his time at the State House, one from his time at the City <laughs> County Building. I mean, it, so seriously, I mean, it's, he, he just elicits loyalty or, or,
0: or, quite frankly, respect because of his loyalty to other people.
2: You're very kind,
0: Toby. You have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guests today have been good friends for decades, Toby McClamrock and John Dillon. Thank you both so much for coming on the podcast, and and hopefully the listeners will take away that that politics, whether it's national or local, doesn't have to be divisive.
2: Thank you, Robert, for having
0: us. Yeah, Robert, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com.